The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, who's the president of Beck Investments, who manages uh, money. He also is the uh, publisher of the uh, Bank Credit Analyst. Welcome to the show, Anthony. Well, thank you very much. A pleasure to be with you. Uh, your new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. Now, offhand, people would think, what's the problem with reflation? All the numbers lately on inflation are lower and lower. In fact, the latest numbers, I think, were, were at the lowest inflation rate since uh, 1966. So the Fed, nobody seems to be worried about inflation. Uh, so kind of that's the first thing that comes to mind is, is why should we worry about inflation when nobody else is worrying about it right now? Well, that's a, that's a good point. Um, the uh, the whole issue, and I talk about this a lot in the book, is you know what inf- what is inflation, and um, a lot of people get very confused because they uh, confuse the cause with the symptoms, and um, you know the, the point I make frequently is that um, inflation is all about the excess creation of money and credit, rising prices are the symptom, that comes after, <clears throat> and. Um, there's two types of rising prices. One is uh, the sort of things people buy on a regular basis that show up in the consumer price index, uh, food and fuel and uh, you know that sort of thing. And uh, the other is asset inflation, which shows up in terms of rising prices for real estate and commodities and gold and oil and stock prices and things like that. And um, <clears throat> one of the great paradoxes is the reason we had this great big bubble in asset prices for the last 25 or 30 years was because uh, CPI type of inflation was extraordinarily low, and that allowed central banks to keep monetary policy far too expansionary for you know for two and a half decades. Um, but you're absolutely right; there is no consumer price inflation right now. It's effectively zero in most countries. Um, if you adjust for food and prices, um, you know one shot sort of things. And um, so uh, you know we don't have to worry about inflation, you know traditional inflation. Um, but what the great reflation is all about was this um, massive attempt by governments to um, basically put air back into the bubble that um, that burst in 2008-2009, and um, they've succeeded by and large. Um, they've got um, the economy uh, turned up. Um, they've got asset prices up. Balance sheets have improved. But uh, one of the key points I make in this book is that there's consequences to all of this money that they pumped into the system through fiscal deficits, uh, um, basically free money. Um. Are you saying, Anthony, that it would have been better had they not done that? Uh, I mean, they would say that had they not done this reflation at the time, that we would have gone through a depression and have 25% unemployment, and there's no way you can turn it around uh, other than a war or something. That, that's what they would say, is this was the, the better of two evils. And Well, I would agree with that. I think the authorities had absolutely no choice because we live in a social democracy. Governments are held responsible for employment and people's welfare, and which was not true in the, back in the 1930s. And then they just let the whole debt bubble collapse, <clears throat> and we went into a big debt deflation spiral. This time they aborted it, and I think they had to do it. There was no choice, but if they had not done it, I think the depression would have been worse than the 1930s because the debt was far, far bigger. Uh, by any metric um, than it was in the 1920s. But basically you're saying that they're delaying the inevitable, that it's not, uh, they haven't solved the situation, they've just kind of temporarily inflated things back up again. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. That's my my basic thesis, is that um, we got into this problem because of too much debt, um, too much borrowing, um, too too easy money, uh, you know, too much bank expansion, and more of the same can hardly fix us. All it can do is buy us some time. And um, the piper still has to get paid for all the excesses from the early 1980s through to the burst bubble in 2008. 
if you were running the central banks, the Federal Reserve, the European Central Bank, uh, Bank of England, and so on today, um, what would you do differently from what they're doing? You're, it's, you're saying that reflating is a bad idea, that it's going to make things worse in the, in the long run. Would you kind of take the hit now because it's, it's less painful than taking the hit later? Uh, well, that's a question of, of, of judgment, and as I said, I think they had absolutely no choice. They had to, uh, they had to do what they did, and I think uh, basically they've got to cross their fingers and say their prayers and and uh, and hope that we can get back to some stability. Um, <clears throat> but it's not really only up to the central banks. I mean, they did their bit by acting as uh, you know the classic lender of last resort, lending to banks when they were in big trouble, and um, reducing interest rates effectively to zero. But the other side of it is the the fiscal reflation, uh, which is showing up in these massive um, budget deficits and dramatically rising government debt to GDP ratios in virtually every country in the world. And so you've got a two-pronged um, uh, issue out there, you know, how to get those deficits and debt under control, but at the same time keep money easy enough so that people have a chance to uh, kind of repair their balance sheets and uh, uh, get back on side. But you don't want so much money that uh, it's going to cause um, rising inflation later. And, you know, we all have to remember that inflation comes through with a time lag. So just because we don't have inflation now doesn't mean we won't have it in two or three years. So have we been using the uh, breathing space, I guess you might say, that was provided by this reflation uh, to do the correct things, to repair balance sheets? Uh, you know, or are there things we could be doing now? These are, in effect, the good times um, to make things less painful when the, the, the down part hits. Well, I think the, the you know what, what what's happened is that um, we've had this big sovereign debt crisis in Greece, um, and it's and it's spilled over into other uh, over indebted countries in uh, in Europe too, like Spain and Portugal and Ireland and the UK has you know got, got a huge debt problem, and the US has got a, a massive problem. Fortunately, in Canada, we're pretty well off. Our debt is much under much better control, and our deficits are smaller. But um, what what the experience of the last uh, few months has shown is that there really is no um, cushion in the system to absorb any more shocks. That people are really, really worried about uh, government deficits and and the debt that's being created as a result of the deficits and where this is going to take us. And they're really worried that uh, governments are going to go bust along the way. And, and if governments go bust, then you know, that's, what are the central banks going to do? They're essentially going to have to bail out the governments, which means printing money. So... Um, a lot of people are really worried about how we're going to get back on side. And I think so far governments are doing the right thing, central banks have done the right thing, but it's now time to get those deficits under control. And uh, that's <clears throat> so. Is that what you're what? saying? Is what's happening in Europe now is in, in the Greece situation, and with Spain and Italy and Ireland and Portugal and so on, by imposing these big austerity programs, that they're going to get their deficits under control and. and get things back uh, in a better way, that that's the solution for the situation? Well, that's a first huge step in the right direction, uh, absolutely necessary. And now it comes down to a question of um, how the social tensions and, and the politics that are going to be affected by the impact of, of uh, governments cutting back on spending and entitlements and raising taxes. And that's going to be Act 2 of this uh, this whole reflation. Can the governments actually get their debt and deficit under control without triggering riots in the streets? And we've already seen in Greece what's happened. Spain, they're threatening general strikes. France, they haven't even really begun. And, um, you know, the French uh, really don't like uh, any loss of entitlements. The United States has got a huge debt problem, and they haven't even begun yet. Um, but they're going to get forced into it. So I think that's really what we have to watch is, um, you know, will the social tensions spill over to the politics and cut well, short? Well, for example, I mean, since that's happened recently in Greece, are you impressed with the way the Greek government kind of held together and still said they're going to do the austerity programs despite all the social unrest and riots against it? Yes, uh, yeah, I think it's 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 been impressive. Um, you know, it was hard to tell where it was going, but it is a, a new government. Um, but I think we also have to remember that the alternative would be far worse if the government collapsed. Uh, you know, the demonstrations on the on the streets knocked out the government. Um, you know, then what? Uh, the currency would have well, they don't have a free, their own currency, but the debt would have collapsed, and I think they would have been pushed out of the uh, EU and the euro. Um, Is that a possible? I mean, some people are definitely saying that the euro may be uh, you know destined to fall apart. That it's just too difficult to, to have these weaker debt laden countries, the southern tier, 
uh, combined with one currency uh, with a stronger northern tier with no political co- combination. They've just got a common currency. Is, is the euro going to survive all this? Well, that's an open question. I, I would say it's going to survive for the time being, probably for the next two or three years. Uh, but in the long term, uh, for sure, there's huge uh, flaws in the in the uh, uh, in the euro system. Um, terrible governance, and um, you got 16 different fingers on the you know on the on the pulse and hands on the lever, and um, uh, you know they had um, the stability and growth pact where governments were supposed to keep their deficits to three percent of GDP, and they they didn't do it. There's no enforcement mechanism. Um, there's no uh, national fiscal policy that can allow adjustments. Uh, for countries that are in big trouble, compared to, say, United States and Canada, where there's a national fiscal policy. So if one particular province or state gets into trouble, uh, the federal government can shift resources from one area to another. But in the EU, they can't do that. Um, so there's a lot of flaws. And the one thing that's really encouraging is that the drift that we saw for the last two or three or four months, uh, where nobody could really kind of get their act together, um, in any kind of united way. Now Angela Merkel, a German chancellor, has really got the bit in her teeth, and I think she's determined to, as she said, do what it takes. And I think that's what the markets needed to hear. And I, you know, hopefully there'll be uh, a return of enough stability to give us the breathing space that we need um, to allow the more solid countries to uh, get back to stability. And then we can stop the, you know, or block the risk of, of contagion from Greece to other places. And that was the big concern uh, up to a few weeks ago. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, uh, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money, uh, talking about these economic trends and also how you should allocate your portfolio uh, in light of these new trends. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Technology is changing the way we live our lives and how we do business. On CIO Talk Radio, we talk about the benefits of technology and the great things it allows us to do, as well as its risks. Heard every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, Sunjo Gall interviews business leaders and other experts that are shaping the way we use technology. To learn more about the show, visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Keep up with the changing world of technology and listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjo Gall. Listen in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Pacific, right here on Voice America Business. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, who's got a new book out called The The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. 
Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Well, thank you very much. You talk in the book about the history of inflation uh, and these kind of reflationary, deflationary cycles and the, the, the long waves and so on. Uh, what are some examples from history, even going back further than, than recent history, uh, of a similar situation today and, and how was it resolved? We had this kind of big reflation and, uh, and, and, and governments coming in, everything that's happening now. Well, give us some examples from the past and how this might relate to today. Okay. Well, first of all, there there are no um, very close precedents, and that's why you know I keep saying this is a huge experiment. This is global, and it's massive in magnitude the the reflation. But uh, to go back to something somewhat similar, I think if you look at the 1920s, um, where we you know coming out of World War One, and um, some countries went back to the gold standard, or some, you know, some some countries did, and you started to get a lot of internal deflation. Interest rates uh, were coming down, uh, and you got a great credit bubble that uh, developed on top of that. And but the whole system was fundamentally unsound because uh, countries had very very different um, values on their exchange rates. Some were overvalued, some undervalued, and you had all the problems with war reparations. So I mean things are always you know different from time to time. But it was basically a messed up financial system with a huge credit bubble on top of it. And then it burst um, after the crash in 1929 with progressive banking collapses. And um, so you went from uh, what I would call an asset inflation in the 1920s to a big bust uh, that then spiraled out of control. It was, you know, what people call letting the fire burn itself out. And um, so we've sort of been through that type of thing um, with the credit bubble um, leading up to 2008, 2009. Then we had the crash, and then we had the big uh, bailout, or I call it the great uh, reflation. Um, and but where it goes in the future is 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 extremely hard to say. This is an experiment. What, what uh, did we learn from the 20s and 30s that we're applying today? I mean, Bernanke is an expert on the depression, supposedly, and he's studied this all very carefully. What have we learned that we're applying to today? Well, the big lesson from the 1930s was. Uh, don't have a rigid monetary standard. Then there was a the gold standard. Um, don't let the banks collapse. Bail them out at any cost. Um, provide bank capital. Um, deal with toxic uh, loans that the banks made. In other words, pick up the mess the banks made um, before it spirals out of control and you get a, a run on the banks for people to take their money out of the banks. And so they successfully did that. But it, it doesn't mean that we're whole again just because they bailed everything out, because they created all this money, um, you know, to bail us out. And so we don't know what the consequences are for this. We probably won't know for the next five or ten years how it's going to play out. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so your prediction is we're going to continue to have low consumer price inflation for the next two or three years or so, mm-hmm. and then that's going to start picking up. But meanwhile, we're having asset inflation today because of the money that's being put in is that correct well i would say i wouldn't call it asset inflation i'd say we've had a recovery in asset prices um you know it's far too early to call it a you know an inflation of assets or a bubble in assets i mean a lot of people use that term pretty loosely i don't think it's appropriate uh, stock prices are still way below where they were at the previous high in 2007 2008 um you know commodity prices have come back a bit but most of them are still below the previous peaks uh, gold is a new high, um, but the reason for that is that a lot of people are worried about monetary debauchery, you know, two, three, four, five years from now, so they're buying gold for insurance. Some uh, would say there's an asset a bubble in the uh, treasury bond market. Would you agree with that? Well, I wouldn't call it a bubble. I would, I would say it was a, it was a panic reflex. Um, you know, people wanted to put their money into something safe. And it was a safe haven uh, sort of thing. And um, so, you know, people bought treasury bonds, I think, thinking that we're going into a deflation. And that's the best asset you can hold in a deflation is um, treasury bonds. Because you get a capital gain and you lock in a decent rate of interest. So does that make sense? Is there a case that in the short term we're going into deflation before the reflation? I think it's by far the bigger risk um, in, in, in the short term. I mean, I think we're really hovering on the edge of deflation. And we're now going into, as I said earlier, Act 2 of the Great Reflation, which is massive fiscal consolidation, which is very deflationary. Governments are going to be slashing expenditure, uh, slashing entitlements, uh, raising interest, uh, sorry, raising um, taxes. And uh, at a time in which the stimulus of the last year and a half or so is starting to get phased out. So we're going to see much slower growth in the next year and a half. And... Uh, 
consumer price inflation is effectively zero in most countries, negative in some. So, okay, so I'm trying to get your investment perspective here. You're saying we are headed into deflation in the short term here, next year or two. So you're saying that Treasury bonds are the place to be for right now? Well, I, that's not exactly what I said. I think we have a risk of deflation. Um, I think inflation is effectively zero. Um, but the risk is in that direction, not on the risk of a big spike up on the consumer price index. So I would say, yeah, it's probably not a bad asset for some people to hold. Um, you know, Treasury bonds, um, you know, high-quality Canadian, say, and U.S. government bonds. Um, but the other side of it is that the markets are so nervous that they – have probably anticipated more deflation than we're actually going to get, and um, so the bonds are expensive. You know, it's not a not a one-way bet. So I wouldn't want to have too much money in uh, in long-term government bonds. I'd have some money there just for protection, and sort of a hedge against um, deflation getting out of control. Um, but I think what in this kind of environment, because it's an experiment and because nobody knows where it's going, you need to have a diversified portfolio where you can hedge against what you know whatever the major risks are. How does gold tend to do in deflation? Uh, well, that's controversial. My personal feeling is gold is not good in a deflation. And the reason people have pointed that out in the past is because that it was a good deflation hedge is because the price of gold was fixed up until 1971. So if um, you went into a deflation, um, you know, gold gold held its value. You know, it was, uh, was a good thing to have. And uh, and it was very bad in a period of, of, uh, of inflation. Um, which you see from 1933 when the Americans raised the price to $35 an ounce. From then till 71 when the price got freed, the, the inflation-adjusted price of gold fell dramatically. Um, but we're in a new ball game now. With gold is essentially a floating asset, and I think um, there's a huge financial demand for it from people that are looking for diversification and protection. And um, I think it's a good insurance policy to have, but it's a ex- very expensive insurance policy because it's certainly a very crowded um, trade. A lot of people have uh, put their money into gold. Indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, uh, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. i uh, talk more about these economic issues and how you should be investing your portfolio in these uh, perilous times. We'll be back after this. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you looking to soar with the eagles instead of being grounded with the turkeys? Why not have a gorilla help you out? Listen every week for Innovate, Leap Out of the Bowl with host Joby Dixon. Joby has made a living out of helping organizations and individuals become more creative, inventive, and innovative. The show closely parallels Joby's book of the same name. It'll include the process to innovate, how to rewire your brain for creativity, exercises, case studies, and more. Tune in to Innovate, Leap Out of the Bowl, Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. you got to believe. Listen up. Conceive Magazine is now on the air, live, and on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific. Hosted by Kim Hahn, founder of Conceive Magazine. 
Conceive On Air offers comfort and emotional support to women contemplating starting or expanding their family by consulting noted professional experts and by sharing the insights and experiences of others. Kim wants to share her experiences to educate and empower women. Conceive On Air is the only complete resource destination that inspires and informs future moms about their fertility on the journey to parenthood. Conceive On Air with Kim Han, celebrating the creation of families. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, uh, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, let's talk about putting together a portfolio for this very uh, dynamic situation you have uh, going on here. I mean, as I understand your current prediction, you're basically saying in the short term, meaning the next two to three years, it's going to be pretty much a deflationary scenario as uh, uh, federal governments and state governments cut back on expenditures, raise taxes, do all kinds of contractionary things. And then all the amount of money that's been put into the system uh, will eventually start causing uh, asset inflation and consumer price inflation, and you'd have to change your investments uh, going forward. Is that basically where you're at? Well, yeah, I would say, yeah, roughly speaking, I think we could um, you know, argue about the time horizons. But, yeah, I think the, the basic point is that this is an experiment in the near term, uh, whatever that is, 6, 12, 18 months, a couple of years, um, it's going to be a very deflationary environment, and central banks are going to have to keep money uh, very easy, very expansionary, very low interest rates. Um, and this is essentially a good environment for equities, um, you know, tight fiscal policy and easy monetary policy and low interest rates. And um, when you have those kind of conditions, money has to flow into assets, and um, I think it's going to flow in good part into high-quality common stocks. So I'm uh, relatively positive on, on uh, good-quality stocks. Is Definitely that the not. reason that the stock market's done so well in the last year, is the money from the, uh, the government basically went into the stock market? Uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, good, good part of what happened. Also, stocks were extraordinarily cheap uh, at the bottom in uh, March of 2009. And so uh, it was a bit of a no-brainer once uh, it looked like things were not going to collapse. And so money went into stocks, and you got a good recovery. We're still you know, a long way from the previous highs, but uh, we got a good recovery. And I think stocks are still not expensive. Uh, some people disagree with me, but I don't think they're very expensive. And I think uh, the high-quality companies that can prove they can grow their earnings in this kind of uh, low-inflation, low-growth environment will continue to do well. It's be a good place for people to hold their... So would you them. give me some examples of high-quality companies? And do you like those that have high dividends as well? Uh, yeah, I'd like the high-dividend companies, and especially companies that can uh, grow their, their, their dividends, uh, that have good cash flow. Um, but uh, I'm not in the business of picking stocks, so I wouldn't want to get into individual Or, or even sectors? Even sectors that you'd like? Uh, well, I've been a long-time uh, favorite, uh, long-time uh, bull on the uh, oil and gas industry. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, I w- still Would you play that through exchange-traded funds, if not individual stocks? Yeah, I think for people that are not in a position to do their own uh, research, um, exchange-traded funds can be um, effective. But uh, I think the the environment is going to be likely to be one of, um, you know, stability in in oil prices, not necessarily a huge bull market. And so I think, you know, you need to look for companies that can grow their reserves um, and especially grow uh, low-cost reserves. So one of the things that you know we've invested in, and in, in we, we're a family office, so we do our own investing, is in uh, Colombian uh, oil companies because uh, they're growing their reserves very quickly and they have very low cost, so they can make money uh, even at a much lower oil price. So I think that's the sort of thing that people, um, you know, should be looking for. Uh, are, not, are, there, are these uh, publicly traded on New York Stock Exchange, or where are some of these traded? Yeah, there's there's uh, several that are traded on uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and so. Um, you don't have to go to uh, Columbia to buy them. You've got the governance that goes with a listing on Toronto, um, which is 
pretty good by world standards. And um, so, you know, you're getting, um, you know, some quality there, and the quality of the management is, is terrific. Can you just so, give me the name of one or two of them? Because these are not people who are... Sure, well, there's uh, Pacific Ruby Alleys is, is, um, is one of them. Uh, Petro Minerales is another one. Uh, that company is controlled by um, Petrobank, which is uh, got a good chunk of their assets in Canada. They're in the tar sands in Saskatchewan and more conventional stuff. And uh, and then they've got a huge play in, in uh, Colombia. And um, it's been volatile, but uh, for the last few years, it's been a really good stock. What, what do you think will be the impact of the oil spill uh, on the oil industry and the oil companies and oil prices and so on? Well, I mean, at a minimum, it's got to really slow down drill, deep water drilling and drilling in other environmentally sensitive areas. So um, at the margin, it's going to curtail, uh, curtail supply. And um, demand is going to stay pretty strong in emerging countries like China and India and so on. So I think it further um, supports the case for a growing squeeze on supplies of oil at, at uh, you know, reasonable prices. In addition to energy, what are some other, other areas that would benefit for, by the deflation you're expecting the next uh, two or three years? Well, it's, it's um, just kind of from an economic point of view, uh, uh, companies that um, uh, can, can, can lower their costs, companies that have, uh, can, can increase their productivity a lot, um, can make money in a low-growth environment. But um, a lot of companies need growth to, to really to make much money. They've got a lot of uh, operating leverage. That, um, so without the growth, um, you know, their profits uh, might, might stagnate a bit. But um, that's really not my specialty. I don't want to get into sectors yeah, too much. That's uh, fine. Uh, I mean, in, in places like Europe where they're going to have major contractions, they're probably going to have recessions when you get down to it, in Greece and Portugal and Spain with all the cutbacks. And the public sector is much bigger there than it is in the United States and Canada. How is it going to be possible for them to grow their economies when they have these huge cutbacks in the public well, sectors? Yeah, that's why I, I don't feel particularly bullish on uh, on, on Europe. Um, you know, their growth is going to be low. They've got... Uh, uh, terrible uh, aging problems. The demographics are terrible, much worse than North America. Um, they've uh, loaded with, uh, you know, very high cost economies, very uncompetitive, um, very restrictive labor practices. Um, you know, a lot of countries in Europe, you can't lay people off except with uh, huge cost, so people don't hire young people. In Spain, for example, uh, the overall unemployment rate is 20%, but youth unemployment is 40%. Um, you've got pensions in, uh, like the civil service in France, I think, can retire at age 50. And uh, they retire in a higher pension than um, people in the public sector and the private sector get. So this has got to change. And in France, wherever they tr- whenever they've tried to change these things, uh, uh, the public sector goes on strike and the government backs down. So we're yet to see how the social tensions are going to play out politically. That's the so point do you think thinking. this might be different this time, um, based on what happened in Greece, that uh, the, the costs are just too much for them to bear and they're going to... Be forced to change these things. Uh, well, w- yeah, one would one would hope that uh, people understand that uh, there's a need for change. But uh, what always happens is that uh, people say, "Yeah, there's a need for change, but don't take anything away from me. Take it away from the other guy." And uh, another point that's really important too is when you get a trauma like we had in 2008, 2009, you know, economic trauma. Uh, it just disorients people. But history has shown that there's after a time lag, which can be pretty long, you start to get a collect collective. Uh, reaction to this uh, as people express their anger and because uh, the average person doesn't understand um, how we got into this mess they think that the, you know the banks were the cause the government was the cause and why should they pay for this thing why should uh, you know these bankers get uh, their big bonuses after the mess they created and uh, and uh, taxes on the individuals you know are going up and so people don't understand there's a lot of anger out there and this is i think what lies behind the tea party movement in the u.s and i think that's a huge wild card for for u.s politics and you're going to see the same type of um, collective reaction in different countries um, as people express their anger at uh, at what's happened in the last couple of years does this have parallels to what happened in the 20s and 30s i mean in the 30s when the depression you had the rise of communism you had the rise of fascism you had the rise of kind of extremes uh, because of the tremendous economic downturn that happened. Is it something mm-hmm. possible similar here? Well, we're seeing it's the same, pheno- exactly the same phenomenon. The difference is that what we've been through is pretty mild um, compared to what happened then. You know, I mean, Europe, you had a 10-year, de- Europe and the United States, you had a 10-year depression, 25% unemployment. Uh, G- Germany and other parts of Europe had had a hyperinflation back in the early 20s. 
Um, so, you know, you had a prolonged trauma among the people, and that's people start looking for uh, simplistic answers. They listen to demagogues and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. So um, that's why the, the governments have a, an absolute com- you know, uh, determination and compulsion to not allow another 1930s to happen because, you know, it ripped society apart then. It would be even worse today because expectations are so much higher and everybody blames the government if for anything that goes wrong. So could that happen today, a demagogue's rising and people looking for simple solutions to complex well, questions? I, I, I don't rule anything out. I think at this point it's unlikely. Um, but I look at Sarah Palin and, uh, in the United States, you know, and my jaw drops open uh, <laughs> how people can uh, think that uh, she's our savior. <laughs> Okay. The, the next area you talk about in your book is the U.S. dollar and uh, how that plays throughout all of this. Now, lately, uh, the dollar has been extremely strong because people have been putting money into it as a safety haven. Is, is that going to last for a long time, or what is your outlook on the dollar based on all these economic trends you've talked about? Well, I'm, I feel relatively sanguine about the dollar in the short run, primarily because it's the best-looking horse in the glue factory. Um, all the other currencies are so bad. I mean, who wants to hold the yen? Who wants to hold uh, the euro? <clears throat> who wants to hold sterling? Well, the yen has been very strong as well. Well, but, you know, fundamentally, they've got a bigger problem than anybody. They've got a government debt-to-GDP ratio of 200. Yes. Uh, Greece is only 120. Yes. Um, although there's other metrics that are important, too. But uh, the dollar is, is a safe haven asset, and one of the benchmarks that we look at uh, to maintain our relative optimism in the near term is, is stability in the U.S. dollar. And as long as it's firm um, or you know, stable, that means the Federal Reserve uh, can continue to keep money very, very easy and keep interest rates very low. And um, so, so that and a stable U.S. bond market, which means uh, the government can fund its deficit, um, as long as those things are, the, are you know, uh, still in place, then I think we can have relatively good, uh, good financial markets in North America. And what would change that? Uh, it, would, it would be the, the Chinese not buying treasuries. People always talk about the Chinese aren't going to keep mm-hmm. buying our treasuries and our interest rates will go up and all that. Is that... What would be the turning point in, in getting away from that kind of stable outlook we have right now? Well, that's that's absolutely what would be one of the um, you know the critical things is, uh, and, and China was making noises a few months ago when the dollar was was weak, and they said, uh, well, you know, we're worried about our our dollar holdings. Uh, now that uh, the euro's weak, they're saying, oh, we're worried about our euro holdings. So you know, the Chinese are as confused as anybody, and. Uh, uh, they're behaving like the classic odd lotter. They like to be, uh, you know, on whatever trend is going up at the time. And uh, but currencies fluctuate. And I basically believe that the Chinese um, are determined to, to maintain stability. They want to keep a, a very undervalued exchange rate. And so they have a vested interest in playing this game of keeping their currency cheap, uh, getting these big capital inflows coming in uh, to their country. They reinvest them back into the U.S. and they buy U.S. Treasury bonds. So they keep U.S. rates down. They keep their own currency down. And uh, this allows their economy to continue to grow at uh, 8, 10, 12 percent a year. So what is the investment implication of that if you think the U.S. dollar is going to stay relatively uh, strong and the, the current situation basically continue for a while? Uh, well, I think the... Um, uh, uh, you know, to me, that that's it's it's bullish for North American stocks um, because interest rates will stay low here. Um, I think it's bullish for China because it means the Chinese currency will stay undervalued and capital inflows will keep going into China and keep you know continue to go into uh, financial assets. Um, and just on that score, you know, a lot of people are really worried about a Chinese bubble and the bubble breaking and a. Uh, a big recession and a banking collapse there. I mean, you hear this all the time, and I think nothing could be further from, from the truth. I think China's adjusting to some speculation in the housing market, but basically their stock market's down 35% um, from the peak last summer, and I think the market is, is pretty reasonable, and I think it's going to go back up. It's a good, probably a pretty good entry point. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bullish on, uh, on China and, and uh, some of the other solid countries in the Far East. And Europe, um, you know, I think we're going to have to wait to see if this sovereign debt crisis gets under control. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. We'll be back after this.
We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Technology is intended to improve our lives and solve the world's problems, but technology in itself is a complex myriad of concepts, ideas, and security. How do we sort it all out? Tune in to Technology Today with host Ajay Gupta. The program will go inside the world of technology with innovators, engineers, CEOs, and government officials. Our topics will include green technology, healthcare technology, and cybersecurity. Listen every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This ain't your mama's brain and health show. Tune in and get ready for entertainment and information about your mind and body that will really change your life. Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio is a sane departure from conventional thinking about diet, health, and the brain. Host Nora Gedgaudis will also combine humor and science to illuminate the mind and open your eyes to the principles of neurofeedback and diet, which can help you and your family live a better life. Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio airs live Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Anthony Beck, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. Welcome back to the show, Anthony. Oh, thank you very much. And give them a website where they can find out about you and your newsletters in the book. Uh, well, we have a website. It's called uh, uh, the Beck Investment Letter dot com. Beck spelled B O E C K H. And uh, we also publish. Um, I don't know if we mentioned that, but uh, we, we publish a uh, uh, an investment letter uh, once or twice a month. Uh, that uh, is free for the time being, so anybody can pick that up off our website and uh, get on our subscribers list. And then that's where we basically update our ideas about um, uh, about the markets based on our, you know, the tools and thesis we developed in the in the book. Okay, so we've talked about the dollar, we've talked about uh, inflation. Basically, you're thinking the U.S. stock market, China is a pretty good place to invest in the next two or three years. We're going to have pretty much a deflationary environment, um, and so. You're relatively sanguine about the next two or three years, but I'd like to take you out longer term. Uh, after that happens, and you're saying that this bubble cannot be contained forever, and the, the title of your book is The Great Reflation, you think there's going to be a surge in inflation? I mean, is it going to be hyperinflation? Explain to me what's going to happen when the, the current relatively benign period for the next two or three years ends. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I can do. I'll, I'll, I'll speculate for you, but I want to emphasize again that um, what I said in the book, and I really strongly believe, is an experiment, and nobody knows how this thing is going to play out. You know, people can pretend they know, but um, my guess is, uh, in terms of a scenario, um, deflation for the short term, um, a, a very strenuous effort to get deficits under control. Uh, big question mark whether that will actually happen or not. And so I would uh, say speculate. If they get it under control, we may go into too much deflation and have another recession, um, maybe two or three years from now, which would then cause government deficits to get even bigger and cause another sovereign debt crisis. Uh, I think that's one possibility. Um, and the other possibility, I would say, is that we go two or three years and the social tensions build up so dramatically that governments have no choice but to back away from uh, fiscal restraint. And um, if that's the case, then the pressure is on the central banks to print money and buy government bonds. 
And if that happens, then you're going to see price inflation start to, to go up a lot, a lot faster. Inflation can cause social unrest as well, right? Yes, but usually with a time lag. Um, in the short term, um, you know, the, what the public really feels is losing their job, unemployment. Inflation is much more subtle. Um, I mean, they both lower living standards, and that's basically what has to happen because we've been living um, an artificial um, um, existence for 25, 30 years based on people taking on too much debt, individuals, companies and, and governments. And so it's payback time. So one way or another, we have to reduce living standards, reduce entitlements, reduce government expenditure. Uh, people have to reduce their debt. I mean, all of this is painful stuff. And um, uh, in a deflationary, declining economic environment, um, it's much more painful. And people feel it much, you know, much more directly. Whereas if inflation starts going up from 1% to 2% to 3% to 5%, um, you know, it's very subtle how it erodes people's living standards, and uh, eventually, um, you know, people. So you're saying that's on. the easier choice of politicians is to reflate. It's, yeah, there's no, like governments. No government or central bank inflates because they want to inflate. They inflate because it's the least bad option uh, to follow. And central bankers, uh, as you know, really got burned in the 1970s because they printed way too much money, and uh, and we had you know rates of inflation up to 15 or 20 percent in some countries. Um, so, you know, these central bankers um, that are around today, they were the young guys cutting their teeth back in the 70s. So they know what that inflation's all about. So they're not going to throw the towel in too quickly. Well, I mean, uh, the, the charts you have in the book show how dramatically money supply has grown in the last two years or so. Uh, so some would say they've already thrown in the towel on the inflation side. That they've Well, yeah, it depends what measure of money you're looking at. Um, I think if you're looking at uh, the monetary base in the United States, um, it's grown dramatically because it's uh, directly a reflection of the Federal Reserve, the central bank, increasing its balance sheet. And what it um, did is when it increased its assets, it increased um, bank reserves. But uh, we have financial constipation now. The banks are not using those reserves. They're holding them with the Fed. So as a result, the, the money supply that really matters in the economy, like M2, uh, people call it, um, uh, that's actually falling. It's, uh, it's, it's very weak. This and is because another, velocity is, is slow, is that what you're, you're saying? Yeah, exactly. The vo- velocity has is, 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 uh, collapsed. In other words, people aren't using the money. Um, you know, the money is jammed up in the system. It's like a toilet that uh, you, know, you can't flush. And, um, and the reason for that is people fear prices falling. If, if they go out and spend money, if they expect prices are going to be rising and to beat the price increases. It's price part, increases. Of, yeah, part of the deleveraging process. People are, are not borrowing. Companies are not borrowing. Um, and the banks are reluctant to, to lend. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's why the money's not getting out very well into the system. It's starting to happen a little bit, um, but it's still um, far, far below, you know, what you'd consider in a normal Is recovery. that something the central banks should try to change and, and force the banks to lend more? Well, they can't. They, they talk about that all the time, but you can't put a gun at a banker's head. Well, I guess you could put a gun at their head, but you can't just tell banks to go out and lend. The banks are worried about their capital. Yeah. You know, just uh, one statistic, the North American and European banks own $2.1 trillion worth of bonds of Greece, Portugal, Ireland, and Spain. Um, you know, I mean, this so the, they did banks are, <laughs> the banks are still terrified of uh, of another big um, banking crisis. Do you see what's going on in Europe similar to what happened in 2008 here, where they came up with the TARP money to bail out the banks, and here uh, we've got the $1 sure, trillion? Yeah, dollars. yeah, I think the analogy is, is, is pretty good. It was, um, you know, sub, our sub, uh, well, U.S. subprime crisis uh, spilled all around the world. Their sovereign debt crisis is spilling outward the other way. It's like the secondary effect, and... Um, uh, and it's really exposed the fault lines in in, in Europe. Um, so, so okay. So let's so let's take your second scenario then, which is that uh, the governments take the easy way out, which is probably more likely, which is to reflate instead of uh, uh, you know have considered austerity because the social tensions become too much. Um, then what happens? I mean, do we get a, a surge and do we get the Weimar Germany and bar- wheelbarrows of money and uh, hyperinflation? <laughs> Uh, No, I don't think that's too likely unless um, you get a total breakdown in law and order, um, you get a military um, takeover, uh, anarchism, uh, you know, that sort of thing. No, I mean, worst case scenario is you're going to see inflation go up to maybe 5 or 10 percent or 15. uh, But a point I'd like to emphasize, it's not that easy to inflate anymore. And um, just take the United States, for example. I mean, people are really nervous about about this inflation threat, you know. It's not as though uh, it's not a 
something that we, you know, is new to people. You read about in the paper every day. The gold market is reflecting those fears uh, every day. But um, what's important, the average term to maturity of U.S. government debt's about four years. And um, the Chinese hold something like two to two and a half billion U.S. dollars in their reserves. Tr- trillion, you mean? A trillion, I mean, yeah, a trillion. Right. <laughs> and so if the Chinese smell inflation, you know, they're going to dump those dollars, and the dollar will collapse. Um, if uh, the public uh, financial institutions think the U.S. is going to inflate, they're going to start selling those U.S. bonds. And uh, because the turn to maturity is so short, interest rates will start spiling up, and the American government will never get very far ahead on the game. See, where you can really inflate is... is um, if the term to maturity is really long and the people get locked into, uh, you know, holding their bonds at falling prices, uh, but if people can keep selling their, you know, sell their bonds or they have to be rolled over um, because the term is so short, if they get rolled over at higher and higher rates, then the government is not a big beneficiary of inflation. So not that easy to inflate. Um, people are really uh, on the lookout for it. So, that's so why if, not- if that were to happen, though, if it looked like even not not hyperinflation, but five to ten percent inflation, mm-hmm. would then you switch your investment strategy and go into commodities and gold and away from treasury bonds and stocks? Absolutely, sure. And and and, and so the trick is to have these benchmarks to look at along the way to tell you, you know, when you've got to start making that change because you you want to be early. You know, you don't want to be a co- uh, co- coincident like everybody else because the markets will already have moved. So that's why I would, you know, say watch the social tensions, watch the politics, um, you know, and see what happens. And uh, watch the U.S. bond market and watch the U.S. dollar. And if you start to get uh, signals that, that this thing is going in the other direction, then I think you start, you know, changing your policy quite radically, your investment policy. And you want to start getting away from uh, common stocks and bonds and be shifting into hard assets like gold, uh, commodities, um, and how about cash, money market funds and things like that? Well, cash is pretty good because interest rates will start going up on cash, so you'll start getting a, a better rate of interest. The key is whether you're going to get a rate of interest that's higher than the rate of inflation. Um, and that's the trick because the advantage for a government in inflating is to uh, to make sure that the rate of inflation is higher than the rate of interest they pay. And that way they um, they start st- you know, they're stealing money from uh, the bondholders. Um it sounds like some very exciting years we have coming up, I must say. So I appreciate you being very much on, on the show. Uh, my guest has been Anthony Beck, whose new book is called The Great Reflation, How Investors Can Profit from the New World of Money. I'll give them your website one more time, Anthony. Uh, the website is uh, the Beck, B-O-E-C-K-H, thebeckinvestmentletter.com. And uh, we'd be happy to put anybody on the list that uh, is interested. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. You've been a great guest. A lot of exciting, interesting things going on in the world, and I think you've given people some good advice on how to deal with it all. Thanks again for being on the Money Answer Show. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you, and we'll be back again next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.